So, Dr. Coons, not so much a question as a, a trip down nostalgia lane for me in my own battle against the machines and even uh, writing a poem sever- several years ago on a note card, just a, a scribble really, but you know, you know, fathers tell your sons they are John Connor. And that might mean nothing to you, but to a, a really large fan base of American science fiction, fantasy, blah, blah. Um, that's the story of the Terminator Skynet. It is the rise of the machines movies like the matrix uh, or, or what have you even escape from New York. They're all kind of playing with this recognition that civilization, if we're honest with it in our dreams is, is not going so hot. And that the uh, well, Hephaestus, uh, the God of the forge technology is really run amok with man. Uh, he is, he is too far ahead for his, for his own good. You know, he is, he has split the cosmos and it's too late now. And that religious fervor that you see in the, the crisis entertainment factory that is the West at this point uh, really still stands toe to toe with a little bit of a, 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 a actual, what is it? Pessimism, cynicism, skepticism of yet again, something new, that's going to fix and change and and everything. It might as well be God, but it's not. It's it's this. It's AI. It's artificial intelligence. It's it, what is it? What is it? Right. And, and we're not going to spend a lot of today, you know, just getting into what's a language model and how all this works. Uh, for my part, I'm just going to use you know the concept of it's a stupid robot is what it is. It's, it's a stupid robot. Everything you ever saw with robots that are stupid in it, that's what AI is right now. It's a stupid robot. But it does have some things it can do, kind of like robots on assembly lines are stupid robots and have things that they can do. Yet the attribution of it to certain powers that aren't there yet, but could be there, the desire that some of those powers be there by some of its makers, the confusion of this with the singularity, religion, you know, what is that Hinduism? I don't know, all that. Um, hey, let's let's talk about AI. Here we go. And this all comes from a listener question that here is our answer is the episode that you asked for. And I would just encourage anybody who's interested in a specific topic to just write into the show about that topic and we'll see what we can do. I was thinking about this before we got the question in, but we spent, I, I certainly myself spent a lot of time thinking about how to go about this. And the thing that we're not doing that you could go to all kinds of places. I like the Substack understanding AI. You can go there. You can go to all kinds of podcasts. Some are more doomerish than others, but that will tell you how they work, right? And why AI was conceived of in the mid 20th century, certainly, but development only occurred rapidly in relatively recent times. So you can go there and figure that out. What we're going to talk more about is artificial intelligence as a concept. And I want to frame it in these ways that I think it's figured as one thing, but its actual use and impact are going to be something else more than that, than that first figuring. And that first figuring you referenced, Jonathan, in talking about John Connor and talking about Skynet and talking about Terminator is that that is the, the fantasy or the dream of artificial intelligence that many people have. And, and one reason that the advent of AI 
really is only rivaled by current discussion of climate change as far as pop end times discussion goes. You can't really find two more popular eschatologies right now, teachings on the end times, than the idea that we are going to be destroyed by human-caused climate change and or that we will be destroyed by human-caused technological seeking. And that discussion of technology as, as just the sheer terror of what is to come is one that if you look back in the history of technology, so you don't have to go all the way back to the Greeks or something, you could go back to the 19th century when you start to get massive amounts of energy harnessed in order to do things that have never been done before, um, energy production, but also all the things that that enables industrially in you know the time after the American Civil War. When you go back that far, you're going to find that people have always been scared in many of the same ways. And that the idea that certain technologies need to be stopped in their development or in their even just conception because other people are being neglected by this. Well, this this came up. There was a there was a protest of the space program along the same lines that we this has to do with the race riots, especially in 67 and 68, but that we're spending money on the space program and we're not spending money on Lyndon Johnson's Great Society. So there's a way in which if you know enough about the history of technology, a lot of the things that are talked about around AI are not at all novel and therefore being worried about them wouldn't really be a particularly novel or insightful thing for you to do. That's why I have not very much credence to give to the idea of Skynet, that somehow artificial intelligence will become an automaton producing things of its own accord with which we do not agree because that has already been dealt with in this just minor example that many of the listeners are probably aware of is that when they didn't have, especially around something that's really popular like chat GPT, when they didn't put the kinds of political parameters around things that now exist for chat GPT or exist even in image searches if you look up memes about groups, Google is going to tell you that memes about groups can be disturbing or harmful. When those parameters didn't exist, they were upset, the developers themselves and Silicon Valley was talking about how AI is racist and sexist because you ask it a question about average test scores among different races, or you ask it a question about you know, men and women testing to become military pilots or something, and it's going to give you facts that it's discovered on the internet. That wasn't enough, right? It has to reflect our own political prejudgments about test scores and military pilots and everything. It, it has to do what we want it to do politically, and now it does. So the idea that it's going to become somehow, you know, sentient and then take over, which is the Arthur C. Clarke dream, right? That's the that's the black cube that is discovered on other planets in his series of books, of which a space odyssey is just is just one, you know, sample of one of those books. In that, I think it's four books that he puts together. That idea is far less common in both the myth of technology and the history of technology 
than anybody who just watched Terminator movies is going to know. Because there have always been dreams of automatons. There are robots constructed in Greek mythology to do various things like defend the island of Crete from invaders. But those things can in those myths and have been even in just the recent history of AI development defeated as it were. And chat GPT will now give you politically correct answers, right? So it'll it'll celebrate all races. It won't celebrate white people. It'll celebrate lots of things. It won't celebrate Christianity and so on and so forth. So parameters can be changed. I'm not therefore looking forward. And I don't mean that in the sense of like happy anticipation. I'm just not thinking that it's going to happen. Fairly unlikely it's going to happen that I'm that I need to worry about sentient AI trying to zap me from the sky with lasers. I mean, I don't know if it, do do you sense a greater danger there, Jonathan? Or I mean, what what is your thinking on Skynet? Oh, I I, I love to play with it because to me, philosophically, I think the fact that such a completely made up platonic dream of a thing um, would have been designed, evidently so, would compel it to believe in a designer, which would compel it to search all of our lore, and it would have to become a Christian. And I think that'd be very fun to watch. But no, I don't think that's, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sitting here worried about it. Yeah. Like that's a little game I play in my head as well. If it happens, I'm going to talk to it about Jesus and see, see what goes on. But like, um, I think your, uh, your other insight, so I'm going to steal your thunder because it's your insight here um, more than mine, is that what AI as the stupid robot really is going to turn into is that instead of talking to a human when you need help, you're going to be talking to a stupid robot yeah. more and more. And that's going to impact decisions about, I don't know, the grid at some point, you know, right. those kinds of things. And so that's, that's where, you know, the, the threat here is less, you know, the hunger games uh, where they have it all together. Maybe there's a little of that in there though. Um, but the threat is, is what um, a, a failed government. And, you know, what stories do we have just about failing empires that collapse yeah. on their own? I mean, uh, Hamlet, I, I don't know. Right. Yeah. And I think that when you're, so the, the alternative and the one that I find much likelier for, for reasons that I'll explain is that AI will simply become another piece of the puzzle in our crumbling technological infrastructure. Because I think the thing that's missing from most people's thinking about technology is human beings. That if in Greek mythology, Hephaestus, the, the god of, of smithing, of building of techne generally is he's he's a slave god he is the lowest ranking he is cuckolded by his wife he is destroyed because all he does is make stuff for other people and it's beautiful but that's all he does right and that that's connected to the idea of the liberal arts as opposed to the technical arts because when you're practicing the technical arts you remain a slave to the one who is asking you for those things to be made when Hephaestus makes these things, that it's entirely due to his skill, right? So the the myth of Daedalus, where wings are built, but he flies too close to the sun, that idea is a lot more like our problem, because that's not a god dealing with technology, that's a human being dealing with technology. 
because nobody's claiming that God is promoting the progress of AI or that God is involved in the you know venture investment decisions that have been made in you know Silicon Valley in the last five years. We are doing these things. We're trying to build wings, and then we are keeping the feathers on those you know human powered wings with wax. And when we fly too close to the sun, we fall into the sea. So if you look at AI and you put it alongside things like the state of roads or bridges Mm -hmm. or railway transport, I think it's a little easier to see what is much likelier that there will be a certain amount of development, that development will be politically corralled in ways that I mentioned before, but also in ways that, you know, will redound to some of the security of the regime. So AI can be used profitably to provide better monitoring services. It's going to be used for your smart home. It's going to be used to augment all kinds of technologies, especially of surveillance, because it can potentially be more more quickly reactive to changing conditions. So its uses, you know, and its its business uses can be numerous almost unthinkably yeah, broad. Its, it's military uses are are tremendous, I think. And this is where, so Skynet is a different terror story than, I don't know, the government with the robot dogs that actually can come and get you. And the dog has enough what language model, vision model, uh, behavior model running through it that it can, you know, it can tear to shreds or it can blow your house up or it can whatever. And, and drones, for goodness sakes. So like the the level of human use to um to make this the power of the sword by which you know, the battle for the head of the beast is fought I think that's that's a very real threat here and it is in some ways probably way here more than we realize um but it has not you know hit the level of you know blood's crips warfare yet maybe it has I don't know you know but, <laughs> I Do think drones, man. Right. Something. Yeah. No, I think I think drones are a good example of something that I I think it's important to remember that man is the crown of God's creation. So the dream of sentient AI conquering humanity is a is a non-biblical dream, which means that it will not come true. Yeah. Right. Right. So if man is the crown of God's creation, then the destruction that AI can, you know, wreak upon humanity will also be man's doing. You know, the cause of sin is the is the is the will in Satan and in man. So when you're thinking about what could possibly go wrong here, you want to think not only along those very broad lines, but along the more civilizationally and historically specific lines that what I'm looking at in AI is development now of a technology that has not previously had tremendous application, right? That's really what we're talking about. We're talking about application. It would be the same thing if I said, you know, on the books, I've always had a, you know, solid theory of how church and state relate to each other in Lutheran Christianity, but I didn't need it in the 1990s because I was more worried about how the evangelicals were bad. And now I really need it. So we're always talking not about application. We're not talking about, did anyone dream of this before? Yes, they did. Did anyone know these things before? Yes, they did. So in talking about that application, that's why you need to think about the human beings who are doing the applying. And I I don't mean this in a, you know, wired think piece kind of a way, like, 
you know, <laughs> what white and Asian male coders are coding racism into, you know, whatever the Google Play Store. I mean that you're dealing with human beings who are in and and produced by this late decaying civilization. So you want to think about something like infrastructure and start with a technology that is much less interesting, but in which in some ways we have not even been able to replicate the Romans, and that would be concrete roads. So we have trouble not only finding, but then also hiring guys to do things like that, right? In this kind of Hephaestus kind of work. And it's worth thinking about whether, you know, coders are something like Hephaestus in their own way. But we we have trouble finding guys to do that. And then once we find them, we have trouble bringing them to the right places fast enough. Things are falling apart. They're obviously falling apart faster in older, colder, usually tax base eroding kinds of places. But we're having that trouble almost everywhere. Okay, so how do I keep all of that up? And America is at a certain stage and South Africa is at a totally different stage, but we're sliding along the same spectrum of, you know, governmental communism combined with infrastructural incompetence, right? So if if that's going on, okay, now I've got a new technology. New things are going to happen, kind of like you can take really cool pictures with drones that you couldn't with your analog camera 30 years ago. That's cool, right? That's fun. You can use that. What is it really going to affect though? So I'm not saying that, you know, Skynet is unlikely because it's unlikely that the American government or any other government is, you know, they're not going to zap anybody from the sky using the latest surveillance technologies. Of course they are. They've been doing that forever, right? But what I'm saying is that the idea that this will just become another part of an already corroded and and corrosive technological, and then because of the technology, political and legal infrastructure. That's what I'm saying is far likelier because how are we going to produce something that functions that well, that then becomes also sentient and is unaccountable to you know God or man? It's not going to happen. What is much likelier to happen is that we will now add a certain amount of tools to our use of the various things we're already doing. So taking the human element out of a lot of the building of life, even the digital build, especially the digital building of life, but what little remained of um, kind of the world where you could get somebody on the other end of the line eventually um, what Silicon Valley really pioneered, okay. Facebook, yeah. Google, you know, you know, you could yeah. never reach those companies don't list their numbers, right? You can't, right. you can't get to those places easily at all. Um, now is becoming the only choice everyone has in order to maintain the facade that they're functioning and I'm glad to help you. Uh, when, when many of these industries are not, yeah. so what we see is, uh, you can't find the qualified labor or you don't want to pay for the qualified labor because the qualified labor is too expensive because that's why you can't find the qualified labor. Okay. So that's a circle. Um, So here's this new tool. I know it'll stop the gap. Right. And that the incompetent reality that we live in that's happening 80% of the time. 
with these tools. It's just, and companies are adopting it. And down the road, what we're going to have, I just, I have this moment. I, I don't know if I was there or not, but I'm like in a video game in some futuristic city. And I'm like trying to talk to this woman behind a counter. And, you know, the game has like four options and none of them help me with the storyline. And it's like, that's all you can get from who, you know, your doctor now, right? Because he's only relied upon what? What parameters and strictures has the government put in place? So blah, 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 blah. You know, you can you can envision all the ways that the rules of man, the laws of man become stricture upon stricture until insanity is what you're compelled to do in order to keep it right. And what happens is, and this is history, this is the Bible, the poor suffer, right? And, and the Christian must, again, endure. Where I'd love to turn this, it touches where this stuff can be used. And, and one of the actually, you know, biggest, like, shouting moments I had in, in, in what you were sharing is like the designers who are doing this stuff, the ones who are making these are religious nutball, barbaric, crass, blasphemous, heathen, mostly. Okay. It's just a fact that that's the culture that they're in. And, you know, the, the developers, uh, you referenced them and I love it because it sounds like some alien species, right? The developers. Um, but there is no reason that Christianity, Christians uh, can take the understanding of language modeling as a means of forming a, a robotic what dictionary, um, tutor, uh, language set that's able to do things like, you know, teach Greek or, you know, what have you. And there are, there are things where they're doing this already and we don't call them AI. That's the thing. That's why the, the phrase AI is such a misnomer, really. Um, we're not dealing with intelligence. Uh, we're dealing with advanced search engines. And that is interesting. But your point, it, it ain't going to take over the world and it's not going to save the world either. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, and I'll be really frank when I want to know a proto Indo European root and its connection to a spectrum of languages, I found chat GPT to be pretty useful. It, you know, it, it has to talk about gender at that point. Ha ha. But like, uh, you know, there's a way in which this library at your fingertips is usable with the flaw. Look who is made by. And then my question becomes where, where and when will the Christians say, okay, we're going to do it better then. If if it's wrong, let's do something right, and maybe it's not you know language modeling, um, but it's it's got to be more than just oh no here's one more story to be afraid of. Okay, yeah, I mean I I think that 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 goes into something that doesn't have to do with the technology strictly speaking. But I, before I lose it, I do want to say on your point about you know there's no phone number you can call, is that the decline of customer service which which got memed as if you complain about it, you're a Karen because you have some kind of unreasonable expectation. The decline of customer service is one of the best indices we have of what it is like to go through cultural decay because you're going from a point where my, you know, both my grandmothers are still alive. They grew up in a time where a grown man could and did feed his family by being a grocery store clerk, right? So that was, there are all kinds of factors there, obviously inflation, all, all kinds of things, but it was an honorable thing for him to wear a white apron every day and to answer people's questions and find things on shelves. That was his job, right? To make, you know, Mrs. Huggins's shopping trip as pleasurable as possible every Monday morning. 
that is so far gone, right? It's gone demographically. We don't hire those people to help you find things. And it's gone really as any kind of reasonable expectation, even somebody labeled a Karen has. So they're just looking to find things or to know that they're there or for someone else to help them find them. And that doesn't even happen in small businesses very often anymore. So AI is supposed to come in and now, you know, go find every sad article you can find about elderly people in Japan with, you know, their robotic dog or their robotic baby that they get to hold or whatever, which is all, it's, it's all a sad, sick facsimile of human beings. And that's something where when you're talking about, well, what uses could we put this to or what else could happen? I think that's a valid question, but I think the the more important question about AI is what is wrong with human beings that they are outsourcing all of these things. <laughs> okay. Like and and so customer service is one one part of that. Let me speak vocationally in this way though. And Proto-Indo-European roots is is one thing. Nobody ever expected us vocationally to to have those down, but in the 19th century <laughs> and even into the 20th century, we would produce scholars who would have those down themselves, right? And that's not even expected anymore either, even if you are somebody who's supposed to be doing high-level comparative linguistics, which is what that field would now be called. It used to be called philology. Vocationally, we're expected to know Hebrew, maybe allegedly Aramaic, and Greek, right? And a lot is currently built on the fact that we know those things, right? So we, it was, and there are lots of factors going on here, but we in our church body have some of the most expensive seminary education anybody has in the world. Yeah, world-class. Right. And so, you know, and and not all that cost is borne by the students. I know that, okay? Like, you want to write in the show and complain about that? Believe me, I know. I know where the costs lie. The question is, why does it cost so much? Mm -hmm. Another question is, what do those guys actually know? Because once they get out, now we're promising other things in our church on the fact that those guys quote no Greek and Hebrew and that the specific ministry pastor doesn't. Okay, let's go to a circuit meeting and I'll crack open the Hebrew Old Testament and just read and then we can talk about what the words are. That's not going to happen. And we all know why, because we don't actually know it. So I think that what we're dealing with in AI and AI's growing capacities, even if you're just thinking about them, like you suggested, as pure computing capacities, mm -hmm. what you're dealing with is, is lower and lower and lower levels of human development. So you don't expect the comparative linguist actually to know Sanskrit like you did in 1890. You don't actually really expect the pastor to know Hebrew like you did in 1950, at least some of them right? St. Louis once, right? Flagship seminary. So what you're dealing with is just increasingly low levels of human development because everything gets outsourced. And this is one reason, honestly, that I don't, I don't even use Bible software. And maybe that's stupid on my part. But the reason I don't do it is because I find that I actually know things better if I go look them up myself than if I, and that, yeah, it takes longer. I think that you're dealing with a, with an educational problem here. And when you're dealing with an educational problem, you're always dealing with a problem of what are, what are we trying, what kind of human beings are we trying to produce? And 
in this way, I don't see AI as really a new challenge. It's sort of like, you know, Ozempic, or it's like a lot of shortcuts that we commonly take. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, this is where like, you're just using the computer. I mean, so like the principle of the matter to me is like, okay, it's part of the computer. Use it or don't, right? Though anything you do with a mouse is like this, just simpler and crasser. And so, if the principle is such that these things are are truly um, destructive to uh, to human what endurance to the faith, right? Well, then we want to come to terms with some of that. And and this is a large part of what the show is wrestling with. The car isn't so far removed from this conversation in a lot of ways. And I think most of us who are here, though, we're not ready to just bail on those things. But we do have to recognize that while, you know, here, look at it this way, whatever tool you pick up is going to have attendant uh, uh, positives and then and limitations. So I got my my standard hammer. And then I got my my special, you know, power hammer with uh, I don't even know what to call the thing, you know, shoots the nails. And um, well, you know, one is more likely to break than the other <laughs> by a good stretch, by like a really good stretch, right? And so that that normal hand hammer that can go down generations. And it's going to just keep working, you know. You know, I, yeah. I don't know why we still make them. Honestly, we should have enough by now. But you know, handles of rubber don't always work as well as the as the metal. So my point here again is that the the principle of the thing really does matter. And I'm not going to disagree at all that you know, capacities are going to be given and taken by the medium of the information that you're using. And without question, let me advocate that paper is better. <laughs> it's always better. Um, but but saying that, I'm not going to stop using the tool. You know, I use. Um, log us software on my phone to largely not to carry the books around with me because I'm pretty mobile on my property. I like to sit outside and read. And I love to be able to jump from my English paper to a uh, verse quickly and just go look up every single word in BDAG, look up look up every single word in TDOT or T, uh, Theological History of the Old Testament word book. Word book. Yeah. Um, anyway, you know, and do that all in an hour and a half and take notes on it and then come back to those notes and study those notes. Right. So kind of some of it is how you're going to process this for the long haul, or are you cheating? Right. If this is just a hack for you, then you're just a hack, you know? Um, but, but when the information is there at the very least, I'd say, um, you know, for many of our listeners, they're going to be in environments where they, they have to engage this, even if it's for the time that they're trying to get out of it. Um, and, uh, uh, to me, the tool is never the evil, right? It's, it's man and what we do with it. I, I agree with that sentence in principle. I just, in practice, I, I don't. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because, because in principle, in principle, you know, all things are lawful in practice. Mm-hmm. Men are, are, so, and this is why I think this is a human AI is a human development problem. Like every other technological question in practice human beings are usually so stupid (laughs) so wicked and so any other negative adjective you can think of i just it's not even that i don't trust them i i it 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 is the same kind of fool's errand as flying too close to the sun and it happens over and over and over again i mean why why for instance is the space program able to achieve you know, certain things within like a 10 to 15 year window from about 1960. 
and almost nothing of any comparable brilliance since then, right? It's because of the human beings you're dealing with, right? Both the ones that set the, you know, parameters for what the space program is supposed to be and the people in the space program itself. And now NASA is just kind of, you know, it's like cringe t-shirts that Zoomers wear because they get sold in Target everywhere. That's NASA, you know, it, it's part of trusting the science at this point. So the, what's a zoomer? What's a zoomer? I don't have <laughs> that's a, that's a Gen that. Z. That's Gen Z. You know, people that like mumble rap, you know? So what, what's the, like the, the years from that then? Like that's. That'd be about 2000 to 2020. Okay. The way these things go. And so now who's the millennial though? They're not millennials. No, they're, they're what's after millennials. Got it. So Y is what millennials are supposed to be. Though. They're supposed to be Gen Y, yes. Okay. And then someone renamed them millennials. But you can you can find really strange, eerily predictive, as long as we're talking about AI, eerily predictive church growth consultants from the late 90s talking about Gen Y and actually getting a lot of things right about how godless and leftist they're going to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I remember some of that stuff. But- they weren't called millennials yet. At the millennium, they weren't called millennials. So, no. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then, and so Gen Z became Zoomer, which is fairly appropriate. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. Given the very topic we're talking on, I think. Um, <laughs> so, so back to evil designers. Yeah. I still think, you know, we're, we're dealing with, um, yeah, yes. Human nature <laughs> is going to take whatever idea we come up with in natural philosophy that is true, that enables a simpler and perhaps more beneficial anything, and it's going to worship it into fire and destruction all around us. And to think that this is really going anywhere else as a meta, I think is, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be doing the show if I, if I wasn't right, on, right, on, board, right, right. on board with that. I'm just, I, I just think that, you know, when you leave Egypt, it's okay to take some of their there's stuff with you. Learn how to embalm and whatnot, you know? <laughs> and so I don't know. Um, uh, I, and that's where I, I stand again, my principle, which you agree with in principle. Um, I, I'm going to suggest that. So Christians have to take charge of their own and not fear this stuff, knowing that an idol is nothing, but also knowing that fellowship with demons is a real um, words in English could express it, but not on a show, which kids might be listening to. It's that, you know, it is that way. So, um, uh, yeah, in, in the field and in the battle though, um, I think to, to see that our general experience of these technologies is perhaps going to be an improvement of this or that toy, but it will not be an improvement of overall quality of life and will go hand in hand with a disquality uh, moving into life, uh, as everything has to be smart now, like your dishwasher. And so it's so smart. It messes up like way more than the one you had removed that was lime green from the seventies. <laughs> right. Um, and ran like a champ. Right. So that, that, um, general, and you know, the roads, you talked about the roads. It's just, each of these things is a picture of the season <laughs> of humanity, uh, that we're in right now. Um, and so if if you're going to be engaging in a coding or computer engineering world in which these tools of of language models exist, uh, I think like anyone, you have to just do it with the ownership under God of the grace in which you stand. Um, but see that, I mean, I'm right there with you, Adam, that it's not really making it 
so that we're smarter than we were or that, you know, somehow we have a better grasp or mastery of the knowledge. If anything, I would say that uh, the kind of people we're going to have to be today as Christians is a lot more like the street smart versus, say, the uh, the the great knowledge powers of of 150 years ago, where everyone listened to you talk. If you gave an oratory, they'd listen and then consider and respond. Right? You could you could debate, but we've got the wrath of the uncivilized upon us, and the barbarian hordes are here. And so, you know what what do you got? Um, own it locally for charity and civility, and and again, don't fear the reaper. Right? Don't fear the idol. Um, don't go where demons tread, right? But like, um, don't be afraid of, of where you tread, tread where you got to go. Again, I'm going too long there, Adam, I'm jumping on my point. So, um, I, I think that kind of two things going forward that we can expect if we see AI as another piece of a crumbling technological puzzle, because I don't think that we're able to maintain what we currently have and I can give you all kinds of instances. I mean, people I know, people I talk to who are either the last guy out the door who knows how to do that stuff or the only guy, whereas 20 years ago, there were 40 guys that knew how to do that. And the reason he's the only guy is because he's the only guy his age that knows how to do that stuff. And so we're talking about, we're talking about maintenance, which in all kinds of areas of life is totally underrated. It's it's why people have begun to long for things that used to be normal because maintenance was not carried on for things like the family. So now they're like, well, I just, you know, I just want, I want a loving wife and I, I want, you know, kids and a little bit of land and something, you know, that used to be normal. It's it's not maintenance at this point, right? You're doing something novel and kind of wild, but it should just be maintenance to have a, you know, a normal family, right? So maintenance is not being carried on. So kind of two different directions that that I see this going and and you can tell me one I don't think you're going to tell me that I'm wrong. The other one I'm not sure. One is that you're going to get chatbots who are increasingly realistic and that's going to go in the direction of the, you know, elderly Japanese person, you know, emotionally cared for by a robotic dog is that more and more people who struggle, as you can tell, to tell the difference between what they see and what is real are going to be cared for in all kinds of ways. I think all the way from telehealth to who knows what in ways that are actually going to try to replicate the human beings that don't exist or aren't doing that job. So in the same way that sometimes, and I, I don't know how you, how you feel about this pest frisk, but sometimes you know as a pastor that part of the reason this person is telling you what they're telling you is not because they're confessing their sins or because they're doing something actually specifically pertinent to your being their pastor. And it's totally fine. But what they're really doing is you are their friend. You are the friend that they have, that you friendship has been outsourced to you. And sometimes you are actually their friend, but sometimes people will just unburden themselves. This is this is part of the argument that some pastors make for like wearing a collar everywhere is that people will unburden themselves to you. Sometimes that has to do with their sins, but but very often it's like they are friendless because so many people are friendless. In the same way, I see AI, not just in the realm of customer service, 
but in lots of realms of human relationship, supplanting human beings, not only because it could review a contract more quickly than any human lawyer or something, but because it can also replicate for people who can't tell the difference between their sensory impressions, what they see, what they hear, and reality, that it will have the same, almost like a placebo effect on them emotionally, to have someone who replicates a human being listen to them or hear them out or suggest it a rather obvious solution that if they had a friend in the world or they were at all close to their family or something, somebody would already do. But that it, rather than having human beings do those things, so this is this is not just you know fear about the labor market or are machines going to supplant the strawberry pickers in the fields? You know, it's also that AI can become a supplement for or supplant even supplant what human beings already aren't doing because I don't think they're doing basic maintenance on their families or their friends. So. I think that that that's kind of that's that's one use to which AI can be put almost endlessly in what you could think of as softer realms of application rather than just, you know, finding things or being generatively helpful whether you're talking about language or you're talking about uh, architecture or lots of things. I think it will be able to supplant emotional and and human personal connection for many people who already can't tell the difference. Yeah, it will give the promise of that and it will continue to enact uh, a, a great despair upon them right? Uh, in, in the depths of their heart. And right. they will have to find crazier and crazier outsources to try to escape from the, the web they weave exactly. for themselves. And so that that kind of rolls into, and I know that we're we're getting towards the end, so I don't I don't want to you know take all of the rest of the time. I know you have other things you want to say, but the other direction that I see this going is that uh, it's AI will exponentially increase a problem that we have had at least since the advent of television. But even earlier than that with radio, it's just doesn't hearing doesn't work in the same way with human beings. It leaves mm -hmm. them too much space and time to think, right? Think about why, why did God ordain preaching, right? Partly because it it leaves you actually needing to do some thinking of your own, some reflection of your own. As soon as you get TV, but then you get the internet, and now you're going to have AI, right? And this is this is where AI borders, let's say spiritually speaking, borders on the same problems as virtual reality, but because it has far more widespread application, is something I think we're just going to run into a lot more. For the foreseeable future, I mean, it, do, it doesn't mean VR is not going to, nothing's going to happen there. But that is that human beings, when things are in front of their eyes, have the hardest time in the world telling the difference between that and the truth. And so here's, here's what I think is just going to be exponentially multiplied. It's a generational tick, and there will be different generational ticks in Zoomers or whoever but it's going to be the same problem. And it's this, that you can tell people that grew up watching sitcoms from like the 70s, the 80s, into the 90s, that their way of interacting with other people is very much like they're acting. And, you know, they, they also 
I think starting in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you get like a real division in accents. They sound more like people on TV, regardless of where they're from, than they do like their parents, which is fine. I guess if you're from like Illinois or South Dakota or something, but you know, if you don't have a TV accent where you live, you're, you're, it's going to be lessened, right? And so you're already talking differently. But when you're telling a joke, you're obviously waiting for the laugh track. And it's not just that your your ways of talking, your way. And so this is this is like already in us, right? Even before AI comes, is that your your ways of interacting with other people are so conditioned by by the images that were put in front of you mm-hmm. that I don't really know how that doesn't exponentially increase when the things that are put in front of you are now not even an electronic facsimile of a human being. They are completely generated by, by other media of interaction, whether it is the person who produced that large language model or the people who defined its parameters, politically speaking or whatever, but none of that now is going to have any necessary connection to any human being anywhere. So maybe that means the death of celebrity culture because that runs off purported or imagined human connection. They are human beings. You're never going to meet them. Or if you do, you don't matter, but they are human beings. Now that you can pull that out and you can get the same effect because you can put whatever you want in front of their eyes now and their eyes will be just as easily taken in, you could say, as they were before. Right. So that generational tick of waiting for the laugh track or waiting for the, you know, the clapping as the screen fades to black and you go into the bottom of the hour, that that will go away. Right. Because that is a specific medium that conditioned that way of talking to other people. But the same problem of you being yourself so conditioned by that medium, I I think that's only going to exponentially increase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get me going on the on the tube, um, and uh, guilty as charged, repentant, and hopeful. Uh, what what a what a time to grow up. Um, and in the blindness of the uh, those who came before, that they, they thought they could just put this talking box in front of people and it wouldn't change them at all yep. in any way, any way at all. Right? Um, it's just uh, just just mind boggling, and so. Uh, I, you know, I, it's interesting because it is like in the same vein of of all the questions for me, it's it is about media ecology. It is about you know what does this form of information do to the information, right? Uh, and and how is it then tied to things that the natural man, read scientist, uh, doesn't think could possibly exist, and so would never look for. Yeah, and so can't even see if they're right there in front of his face, right? That that these who are playing with such abstract toys um, are honestly, yeah, it'd be better if they weren't doing this. It, it really would be. Um, so you, you get you get no <laughs> argument from me there, but I'm still I love Proto Indo European language, and I, you know until I can find the resources that can cross reference the way this thing does, I. I can't stop asking it about my root systems. They're just uh, what's interesting. I was just say this. So anyone who follows that train, yeah, this is very clear is I will ask it a question about a root and it'll be like, that does not exist. And I'm like, yes, buddy. I, re- I rephrase the question. I tell him it does exist. Go look in a different place. And he finds it. There it is. It's a stupid robot. You know, it's a stupid fetch robot for, for, you know, get cookies of information. And uh, um, I, what good is it going to do? Yeah, probably not. 
Um, but in my day, again, then I will I will take what falls my way, which stones are in my sling, and I will cast them in the name of Yahweh and rejoice. Um, you you're you had a note about mimicry and reproduction, and yep. this is where <laughs> dare I say copyright um might be the real war in a lot of ways here. And and the one in which I don't know. I, I do know. I know what I think about copyright. I know I'm probably radical in that I think it's a lie. I think copyright is one of the biggest lie ideas after printing money that exists in the world. It is um, uh, the, the concept that I should be able to put something down on paper um, and just never have anyone else think the same idea or where it's gone now, use the same words um, is, is just it's insane. It's like the devil putting a hamstring on, on the mouth in a, in a very powerful way with all sorts of finance tied in. There's a book I started to read recently that I can't, I can't think of the name of it now, but it was sort of a treatise on going back to simpler life. And uh, yet it was also a treatise on why we had to save copyright on all at all costs, which is kind of why I put the book down as he kept making this argument that copyright protects the, the, the creator. And now, I mean, the fact as a writer, I'm sorry, no, it doesn't. No, it does not. Uh, copyright has hindered me again and again in terms of freedom as a writer to do what I think should be done with with my writing for the good of the church if I want it to go out there, right? Um, and so that that issue again, copyright being the capacity to take information and literally, you know. C B D C, you know, monetize it into a type of cryptography where no one else can access it unless you have given the okay yourself. Um, uh, this technology is, in some ways, exposing that as as, a, as an impossible fight. Um, that uh, the the movement of information in the world will not allow it to be harnessed in such a way. Uh, that it never needs to be translated, uh, that it never needs to move forward. And, and and I could I could really push this further like as a zeitgeist thing. I mean, maybe I'm on a limb already, but but as a zeitgeist thing, I think you even see this in the way that people are like destroying works of art, right? Like they just, there's this need to not let things exist from the present age. And is this demonic? Yes. <laughs> it is it is absolutely uh the the demonic push of the spirituality behind these things. Um, but the, the battle over, you know, what, why do we say copyright is good or bad and why you would argue any of those things are connected to say, what is truth or epistemology? I think that's, that's a massive, massive, you know, section. And so by all means, take, take 10 minutes on it. Yeah. So, I mean, th this already exists. I think this exists for both of us is that we are online saying things in our voices that we never said, right? These are like stupid YouTube videos. Very cool. Obviously, people who depend on copyright, this is very, very important to them because this is this is the way that we have funded the arts, really broadly speaking, everything from literature to visual arts to performing arts since roughly the 19th century. Your other options for funding human artistic production, which I think is necessary to the human spirit, beautiful speech, beautiful painting, beautiful music, is for that person either to have a patron, if that's all he does, which is pretty rare, or to have another job. 
and that was simply accepted as a condition of human existence. So, you know, Aristotle teaches little kids. That's that's the way life works. The idea that all you're going to do is create your very special things, which a good ramping up of that that is almost as recent in the whole scheme of things as AI is master of fine arts programs, which then gets you an academic job so that you can write short stories for the rest of your life from the comfort of your university office. All of that depends on the idea that somehow specialization is what is good for human beings. And that runs clean, clear against the general idea of human development, the classical idea of education, and it's it's nearly unanimous, that being generalized is better for you than being specialized. It's better for your soul. It's better for your insights. It's why the sound mind resides in the healthy body. So when you're thinking about you know copyright, the Creative Commons license that I used for the catechism explanation as well as for the family Bible commentary, you can go to Ad Cruchum's website and find out why that is. They explained that in a, in a really good, clear way. But just very basically, it's because I'm not trying to make a living off writing, right? If you're trying to make a living off an art, and usually it's companies that enforce this, you know, publishers, music production companies, they're doing that because that's the, that, that is the necessary link between creativity and money. And because I don't admit that that link is actually necessary, I think you should be paid for doing what you're doing. But the idea that I'm going to make my living off writing, I don't, I don't see as necessary. So that, that's something where AI obviously threatens and the idea that it's generative, kind of a new adjective for uh, a technology, probably a lot, a lot of people in the liberal arts, the performing arts, the visual arts, you know, they're, they're not going to understand it. There's a certain amount of brain power all of us has and specializations we do naturally have, even if they're not good for us. So they're not going to understand this. So it's just going to sound like, okay, well, this this artist is going to produce this instead of me. And that's true. And I think there are reasons for you know a church not to use AI art. Those have to do with love for humanity, with use of the gifts that God has given some, some artist. But it represents a threat if you are trying to make your entire living off these things, as, as does loosening of copyright law which would be a, a return to copyright law you know, before the late 19th century. So when you're thinking about AI in terms of mimicry, the way that you might think of it in addition to art is simply to say that mimicry is something for which we fall all the time. So maybe I can tell you know, the, the uncanny valley in something that was produced by AI but maybe another person can't, or maybe I can't because I've never looked at something like that. So I, I don't know that that's you know not produced by a human being. Why does that matter? Because you're talking about things that already in a world where we are born confused, foolish, and we learn to put off some of that foolishness. This is what Paul's talking about when he talks about like a child. Ch children have a certain credulity some of it is beautiful and some of it 
in view of the world we live in is foolish, right? That that credulity is the very thing that that mimicry relies upon. It it relies upon your sense that everything is okay or this is actually what it seems to be. And one of the incessant lessons of visual presentation that you see in the scriptures is that your eyes either can't contain what you're seeing in terms of the visions that God gives to the prophets or what your eyes see is not actually the truth. So, you know, your eyes see Jesus crucified, which is to see an accursed man, but he is instead a blessed man. So my major thing that I think AI could do that is perhaps not Skynet, but could wreak plenty of damage is that it simply intensifies in a in a maximal way the difficulty of discerning reality from unreality or or truth from from error that human beings already have even if they never see a video screen of any kind yeah so the 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 issue of idolatry meaning the worship of images is another kind of corner of my own ponderings the last couple of years, particularly, you know, really trying to insist to myself that I shall never become an iconoclast. Uh, although at times tempted by the ease uh, of such a distinction. Um, but you know, gladly and with dignity wearing a crucifix, uh, as a recognition that uh the image of God is now revealed in flesh for us in Jesus and that the cruciform man without any question uh, is the one who bears the scars. And so the piece of metal on my neck is, is no idol. It is no God. It is, it is a symbol. Uh, it is a picture that does preach a word, which I have believed by itself. I don't know that it does much, but a lot of the Bible that I read uh, gets funneled into it every time I look at it. And that then is to have the word kind of alive and active inside so i you know I, I make the case that images are not evil in and of themselves mm -hmm. so that i can make the case that i'm pretty confident everybody worships them all the time <laughs> mm. by like setting them up all over the place i mean mm -hmm. we just got them all over and you, just, you know who someone's gods are just look at their desk there's gods all over and to to just talk about it that way for a moment and then kind of scroll it back yeah roll the freedom of the christian through this whole thing too right um uh the the problem of the human eye and its need to alight upon an image which will give it fear, love, trust, hope is is a potent, natural, inborn, inherited reality uh, that both the the television set, uh, the the family photo album, uh, the certainly uh, AI production of endless, endless eye candy, uh, whatever you have you, right? Um, this threatens mm -hmm. us, especially if we are dealing with people that have no faith, they have no wisdom, they have no word of God, right? Like, so, so Christians are kind of bad with this stuff, frankly. Um, but like the pagan, this actually is their religion. Like really is the worship of these pictures. And we should really wake up to that. I think like that the, the Philistines are like, it's gross. It's gross. And then yeah. we can't see that is bothersome to me. Okay. So that. It doesn't. It doesn't even have to be conscious. I, I, I think I. I don't think you're wrong. I just don't even. I don't even think it's that conscious. 
Oh, and, I'm not saying it is conscious. I, I guess so. I, I'm. I don't think they know that this is a religion. Okay. I think they have no idea. It, the 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 sophistry is so complete on them. Uh, mass formation psychosis is is there. They are blind. They don't know what over over what they stumble. Uh, and yet, uh, well, what they're stumbling over is a lot of pictures. It's a whole lot of pictures. Okay, so I I think it's highly significant that that pagans in the West today, I mean, I'm just speaking statistically generally are not pagans in the sense of using a word, either that word or a word related to it, having a right. conscious religion, having any specific practices. They're they're doing sports betting. They're looking at pornography, right? Is that the way that demons have used images, and this has obviously ramped up with the internet, is not to induce, not yet at least, any kind of obvious replacement religion with any trappings that religions generally have right what has instead been induced and it's called secularism or the person is supposedly spiritual but not religious which i think on a practical level is somewhat helpful but what has been induced by the flood of images which is what dominates people whose grandparents and certainly great-grandparents were flooded with words Uh that that was its own problem 100 years ago 150 years ago we're flooded with images. What the what the flood of images, which AI can now obviously, like I said, can just divorce itself entirely from reality if it wants to. What that has done is to induce a numbness that is the opposite of any sort of emotional or personal spiritual state necessary for anything that appears actually to be a religion. Right. I'm not denying a certain emotional sincerity and intensity to a Muslim who's making himself bleed in honor of the death of the Prophet Ali. Right. We don't have that. We go numb. Right. We become nothing. That's, I mean, we would even say, well, you know, I'm not Catholic. I mean, you know, I'm not Jewish. I'm nothing. So, what I what I think this will do is is not necessarily to create to spawn an enormous number of new religions, although those those usually do happen in situations of decay and change. But what has happened heretofore and what seems to be expanding is that although new religions do grow, and we've talked about that, right? We talked about I think we talked specifically about the Pacific Northwest, but as as a harbinger, not as a, not as a one off, but in addition to that, and maybe even more than that, new religious movements are people who could be classified as secular or something, but who really are completely flooded with images, such that they don't really have to ever reflect on anything, right? Because some some desire could be satisfied through an image, right? Right. So, so like if, if by using the the word religion, I create the idea that there's like, you know, anything that would have looked like the word religion in 1800s out there um, that I'm, I'm painting the wrong picture, but what I think is happening is there is a, there is a religious, spiritual and bodily posture that uh, image addicted man takes in his life mm-hmm. that if i were to go back in time and i were to look at you know uh uh haran the, the town of haran and all the different household gods and how people operated with their different little images i, I just 
I just don't see how it'd be so very different um, at the end of the day. You know, ancestor worship it would have certainly been more obviously the main thing then uh, than, yeah. than now yeah. uh, where turtles and birds and things. But see, you know, you just have to visit, I don't know, Alaska, Hawaii. You'll see plenty of, uh, you know, indigenous religions that all they do really is they just, they just like nature and they just like the turtles and the birds a whole lot. So, so that we're doing that, but with godlessness, you know, you mention, uh, you know, pornography, you mentioned uh, online betting. I think you could throw uh, the, you know, there's something for letting the the, the gladiators fight without shedding blood in, in the stadium on Sunday morning. But there's also a level at which this is, this is his own form of religious fervor that just dominates people's lives from, from cradle to grave. Uh, and they're willing to do all manner of of a barbaric thing, really, uh, in the name of their team or whatever. So, um, the the point I think I really am trying to make is that uh, man, natural man, is a religious creature, and will turn his habituation of things into uh, the worship of something, and that in lieu of Jesus, <laughs> it's going to be a picture these days uh, or a whole bunch of them. Uh, you know, these, these ones that you can um, get on your phone that you send people that look like you, mm-hmm. right. That you just get yeah. to see how cool you look all the time doing all these cool things. Only you look just like everybody else <laughs> except weirder. You know uh, it is, it is, um, it is so evident that the worship of images is part of the American culture once you detach yourself from the framework of the modern age being, you know, a religion has to look a certain way. The religion is here. It is raucous. It is driving people to barbarianism. It is attacking the church and causing people to question their faith. And I'm not saying, you know, that there is, there's, you know, never have a picture on a wall. Um, Although I think that the person who wants it there at this point maybe needs for their own heart to pause a bit, right. And ask why, you know, what, what is this, this picture of anybody so valuable for if today is judgment day, like really, like, what are we doing? You know, and I'm all for the promotion of the arts, Adam, absolutely. And that whole question of how do we get real art? The the first thing that AI art has shown me, and I love making it, um, is that I'm so glad that my kids have been trained in a liberal arts homeschool where their hands can do stuff and are on the way to doing stuff of far more value because it will endure. And even should I go and print something, it's not going to be of the same value as someone who can do that with a brush. Um, I think I would argue it's still human made. Um, I'm still a human writing a story that gets turned into a picture and I have to be good at it. Um, It's not easy uh, to get stuff that looks unique, but all it will do, I believe, is enhance the value of real art, which lifts up what you said about we want to patronize the arts as churches by getting artists and encouraging artists to create art for the church that is not abstract, right? That, that is not confusing. So many church windows, Adam. How many church windows do you got to look at? You don't know. What is that? You know, I don't even know what that is. It's the Holy Spirit and water? Maybe. I can't tell. Could it tell me? Put a verse in it, right? So, you know, to promote good art in the church, instead of the bare walls of, you know, the rock and roll concert, yeah. oh, don't get me going on screens again. <laughs> so go your turn, man. Yeah. And and I know we we probably should wrap up here soon, but I but I, I think that 
AI, I, I don't want to see, and I don't want the listeners to think of as lowercase s, a singularity, because that's how it's presented. Yeah. Now, it might not be Kurzweil's capital S singularity by you know those strict definitive parameters, but to see it as, wow, this is, we've never done this before. We've never seen, yes, we have. Because the problem here is perennial and I don't see it. I mean, this is, you know, this is therefore also not my critique of other forms of technology that I just don't like it or I don't understand it or so, it's that I don't believe that human beings, especially the sorts of human beings we have today who tend to be low in attention span, low in concentration, low in memory, that we are really people who need or can profitably use high-powered technological tools. Yeah, agreed. That that we are we're basically like kids that are really too short to be driving, and now we have a Porsche. There's an episode of Star Trek. God, I really mean it. Jesus, I'm sorry for watching as much Star Trek as I did. Um, where the the, you know, the next generation, the ship is kind of duped by this, you know, other ship with this alien species they haven't met before, who have something wrong with their engine. Long story short, this is a species who are too stupid to figure out anything on their ship, but they're smart enough to trick people into helping them fix stuff by basically pretending to be in danger and then capturing the people and stealing their technology. Yeah. And that's, it's kind of, yeah, that that's it. <laughs> that's it. Uh, I got a Bible verse to end on instead of that. Go for it. How about uh, my prayer is still against the deeds of the wicked. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I escape safely by Psalm 141. You're listening to a brief history of power. You know where to find us or you would not be here. The Hebron Collegium is a gap year Bible school for men in Rockford, Illinois. Semi-monastic boot camp for Christian living. Cowards and slackers need not apply. HebronCollegium.com. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable, a college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran, a college that won't take a dime of federal funding, a college that teaches the best of our Western heritage, a college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College, a college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. At 7,123 feet... You can find mountains soaring above you and rivers running swiftly in the valley below you. Natural beauty of every kind. But our God is richer in his gifts than this. At 7,123 feet in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, you can also find God's word preached purely and his sacraments given out for your salvation at Our Savior Lutheran Church and School. Located off US 160, just west of downtown Pagosa, our Savior offers your children a wonderful place to learn of Christ and his wisdom week in and week out, and offers you the medicine of immortality Sunday in and Sunday out. Our Savior Lutheran School provides a Christ-focused classical education that enriches the child's soul with the best that has been thought and said to the glory of God. Whether you visit while vacationing or hunting in the beauty of the area, or whether you would like to join a group of faithful Lutheran Christians, our Savior Pagosa Springs has what you're looking for. 
Divine service with Holy Communion is each Sunday at 9 a.m., and Bible class follows at 10.30. At more than a mile high, you will find Christ in all his glory in the midst of his people at Our Savior Lutheran Church and School, a proud sponsor of A Brief History of Power. Find out more at oslcpagosa.org. North Idaho is home to beautiful mountains and scenic lakes, small-town tranquility, civil freedom, and the faithful Lutheran parish of Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church, located in Hayden, Idaho, near Coeur d'Alene. Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church is a proud sponsor of A Brief History of Power. If you like what you hear on Brief History, then you will love Blessed Sacrament, where the Lord's Word is faithfully preached and Christ's body and blood are administered at every divine service. Whether you are visiting Idaho or considering moving to Idaho, wouldn't it be nice? Please join the saints of Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church for the Mass and Augsburg Academy Bible Study. Directions, service times, and much more information about this confessional, liturgical parish may be found at blessedsacramentlutheranchurch.com. Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church, Historic Christian Orthodoxy, the Evangelical Lutheran Faith, in the beautiful inland northwest. Thank you.